Dude, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizard. Welcome in to the Bro or Squad podcast, where we are just a bunch of bros drinking beer and talking movies. This is episode 154, and I am your host, the Mayor Jeff Hornacek. We thank you guys so much for checking us out for the movie discussion tonight. And before we get started with our show, as is tradition, we must go around and meet the fellow bros with me. We begin in the paint with our enforcer, Matt Geiger. Geiger, as I said a few weeks ago, Jeff Hornacek has made his return to theaters, and this weekend I was in theaters twice, and I gotta tell you, very disappointing report. Uh, At the bar before me uh, last Friday night, I had a gentleman order a beer, and then, this is a true story, he asked the bartender to put ice in it. So as our enforcer, I have to ask, should I have just punched him in the face immediately or gotten drunk in the movie first and then waited in the parking lot to fight him in front of his kid? Not necessarily. This person could either be the biggest pussy ever or the biggest fucking psychopath you ever met. Kind of like someone that puts ketchup on steak. You don't <laughs> you don't want to cross someone that puts ice in beer. Yes, you could make fun of them and say, do you want an umbrella? You could put that in there, too, and also use it as a tampon later. But in my experience, sometimes those are the most craziest psychopathic people in the fucking world that will try to kill you. Maybe he was doing it to, like, try and get someone to say something. You I just know, like, like if you want a watered down beer, just order a light beer. Yeah, I don't. You remember, like in college, beer and want it more watered down than order a seltzer. Then after that, I don't know what to tell you. Banner will remember this vividly because at our school this was a trend. But Banner, do you remember in college when like a bunch of meatheads would wear like pink polo shirts out to the bar to try and get someone to say something to them? To yeah, it was so fucking annoying. Well, this is like the adult equivalent of that, right? A really weird drink order. And in this case, like, why do you want ice in a beer anyway? Even if you, let's say ice didn't even melt. That's just not an acceptable thing, right? If you're the bartender, what do you do? Do you just, like, grab a couple ice cubes and hand it to them? Or, like, do you put the ice in first and then pour the beer on top of the ice? Or do you pour the beer and then put the ice in the beer? Now, now it's just fucking with me. I think the worst part is that the bartender, I don't know if this guy was a regular. I haven't seen him at this theater before, but the bartender didn't even flinch. Is this ice cold? Like, ice cold beer is cool, but not ice in beer. Makes no sense. Now, a frosted cup? The whole show is mug? I, I won't be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> Luckily, he wasn't in my movie. Otherwise, it would have ruined it for me. Uh, n- next Peter week, Rabbit, too, I'm sure. God, he'll definitely be there. That's the demo. Well, the, other, the first one left in a cliffhanger. You fucking expect me not to see it opening night? It's it, That's the worst part of COVID is that we've had to wait an extra year for Peter Rabbit, too. By far the worst thing from COVID. Next, we go into the lab to the mad scientist, Brian Banner. Banner, I'll keep it easy for you tonight. What is the best movie snack? Uh, Mike and Ike's and or Hot Tamales. Oh, my God. What is wrong with you? Both of those. Popcorn. The gross, those are the two grossest candies that even they, exist. No, Swedish fish are a thousand times grosser than Swedish both fish of those. Are, are gross, but hot tamales? God. I mean, just call me a redneck from the Midwest with a Trump flag in my lawn, but I just like popcorn. I don't know. I just like the the OG. I get a lot of flack for this, but Raisinets are my favorite movie snack. I don't like candy that much. Even, even in Thanksgiving... I'd rather have extra turkey than pie. Like yeah, I'm a pie it's... guy. I'm a pie guy. You are a pie guy. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I'm the fattest fuck on the pod, so maybe I should eat more cake. I don't know. 
I, I think, Matt, at Thanksgiving, you just eat, I don't even, didn't even know this was possible, but a bowl of gluten. Yes. I don't, I don't even know what it is. It's, it's stuffing with gluten is the stuffing. It's Stuff carbs it. with carbs, right? You just take all the juices that's all the fat that, like, drips out the bottom and just put okay. that in a cup and drink it. Like the part that your grill collects, you know, at the yeah. bottom? That's what Matt deep yeah. And his arteries are just, <laughs> like, please stop. All right. If you have not listened to our show Great before, start to the show, guys. <laughs> we were like, what the what fuck is this podcast? Fuck. We begin every episode with the most important thing in any bro's life, and that is chess day. And today, we are doing our fifth ever movie month bro-off box office game, where we pit two months in movie history against each other, and the top three films from each of those months in terms of their box office gross face off against each other in a one-on-one matchup. And whichever month wins two out of three of those matchups is declared the Superior Movie Month. Uh, Banner, why don't you tell the people at home how the points are awarded in our Movie Month Bro-Off competition, if you will? Of course. So, first point is pretty easy. Who grossed the most? Now, this is a – the movie has to be released in this month, but we go off of the worldwide total gross. Right. So if it was released in June of 2021, we really won't know for a year what the final number of the box office is. Next point is the Internet consensus. And basically, you got to win two out of three of these IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes and Letterboxd. If you win two out of three of those, you get the point. And thirdly, if necessary, because everybody wants to know our opinion uh, we break the tie, we will spin our wheel of fate, and we will uh, pick one of our Bro 4 Squad criteria and debate which movie earns the point based on that criteria. Only one of the five. I believe we eliminated Impact, right? Or yes. Best Scene. Best Scene no, was one. Yeah, so it's, right now the three criteria are cast, story, and the impact of the film. Okay, perfect. <clears throat> now... Uh, Geiger, before we get into the movie month bro off, the two months we are doing today are April of 2017 and June of 2001. And I think we did forget to mention this, but this is a perfect segue for you to introduce this. These are two months related to the Fast and Furious franchise. So April of 2017 is the most recent Fast and Furious entry in Fate of the Furious. And June of 2001 was the original the Fast and the Furious, which we have done a movie commentary on. Matt, you and I are would take a bullet for the Fast and Furious franchise, and we cannot so wait till June. 2001 was the very first movie? The original, yep. yes. The original. I wouldn't have guessed that. I would have thought 99. I would have thought that came out before. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was trying to place, like, obviously, based on the story, DVDs were the fucking thing in 2001. Yeah. Still DVD players. I mean, Jesus Christ, after that, you could basically just retire in Boca Raton. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Like, four movies later, him robbing the same truck would have not only been worthless, but he would have been laughed out of the uh, thief community. <laughs> what do you think about a 15-year-old watching this for the first time, streaming it online for free illegally, being like, why the fuck are they stealing DVD players? <laughs> like, what even is a DVD? They're like, I'm literally watching a movie about them stealing an outdated way to watch a movie. <laughs> the irony is 
palpable. But I'm pretty high, so it's and you know there's chicks with tits out and the cars are fast, so I guess it's okay. True, tits are ageless. Those those don't uh, go out of style. All right, so June of 2001, taking on April of 2017, we have the bookends of the Fast and Furious franchise will be featured at some point in these matchups. Again, it's best two out of three. We hope. <laughs> we uh we if not we would have skewed the rankings you know just to make yeah. sure we got the matchups we wanted so banner why don't you tell people the number three movies at the box office in each of these months what they are and uh who is facing off against each other in the first matchup first matchup this is the third top grossing movie of uh june 2001 the fast and the furious the original the number one and of April 2017, Going in Style. Those Which is, are the two movies. Uh, that is, I think, like kind of like a bucket list kind of movie. Uh, Morgan Freeman, maybe, if yeah, I remember Morgan, correctly. Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, Matt Dillon. Yeah. Directed it's, by Zach Braff, it looks like, too. It was Sorry. Alfred fucking... The other Lucy guy. Fox. Lucy yeah. Fox. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd is in it, too. So we got Doc... Jeff, what, what if at the end that actually connected to the Dark Knight? Like it was just Lucius Fox and Alfred having a bucket list because they both have cancer. <laughs> Michael Caine orders a Shirley Blanca and turns to the camera and winks. <laughs> and uh, I think it, it's worth noting you might be like fat. The Fast and the Furious from 01 is number three here, but you have to keep in mind the franchise didn't exist prior to this. So this movie, right? It was a massive surprise. So. Banner, the first point, of course, goes to their worldwide box office gross. Why don't you let us know which of these uh, is going to end up on top and put their month uh, on the track, I guess, to get the first point here. All right. So one of them grossed 80, basically $85 million, and the other one grossed $207 million. The winner... Of this matchup goes to The Fast and the Furious. June of 2001, The Fast and the Furious grossed $207,283,925. Which, for a number three movie, again, these are both spring or summer films, if the number three movie in your month grossed $207 million worldwide... That's a fucking stacked month. So tip of the cap to the original. And that's in 2001. What what do we think $207 million is worth today? I mean, that was 20 years ago, guys. Yeah. <clears throat> Matt, you and I, uh, 2001, what would I have been? 14? How many times did you go to the theater uh, and watch Fast? Because that was the fucking thing to do, right? Was go see this. So much so, I remember, I didn't even know how to drive, but I'm like, I want a stick shift. And whenever I learned how difficult and stupid a stick shift is, it's like, no, I, okay, I just want a car that looks fast then. Were you were you saving up to put NOS in your car also? I was. Yeah, I mean, how else? I mean, yeah. How else is it going to get laid? What are you... <laughs> how else are you supposed to get ass? I'm I want to put a nitrous a oxide injector in my $4,000 Honda Civic. <laughs> that movie, though, when you think about, you know, um, the Firebird back in the 80s, smoking the bandit or any type of 80s trope or 90s trope. Like, this was our trope because how many of our friends had shitty-ass Honda Civics with terrible exhaust that yes. sounded like just or terrible. Or a Camry. A Camry, a Toyota Camry, just like, 
fan. As long as it had an 18-inch spoiler, you were good. Yes. Yeah. All my, I know so many of my friends that had that shitty-ass car that thought they were in the Fast and the Furious. Yes. And, and like, if you could somehow get, like, that black light underneath it, you were like, God damn it, dude. And I never understood that, even watching this movie. And I, I, I've never really said this on pod, but I am a car guy. I love cars, but... The only car I really liked was at the end with Vin Diesel having the uh, old, it was like a 70s Charger. That was the only car yeah. I liked in that movie. Yeah. That's why I liked the second one a lot better because they, you know, they had the Camaro and, you know, a lot of more old school American muscle, as they say, yeah. cars. I will say they did uh, stay true to Brian's character throughout the series because he always went after the, what was his car in the first one? Was it the Firebird? Like no, it was like a Subaru, wasn't it? It was like a, it was a, I don't think it was a Toyota. Was it a Honda? Is it a Toyota or Honda? I think it was. A, it it might have been a Subaru. I can't. Whatever remember. the car is, I remember in Fast and Furious, which is the fourth installment in the franchise, when he's working for the FBI, he picks out like the same. The uh, exact the, same car, yeah. yeah. Except it's blue and not orange. <laughs> right. Well, I, I mean, Brian is undercover. Jesus. Oh, my bad. My bad. All right, so June of 2001 goes up one to nothing in the very first matchup. Again, you got to get uh, best two out of three points though to win. So, Matt, why don't you do the second point for us? It is basically what the rest of the world thinks on the Internet. So we have three sources, IMDb, the Rotten Tomatoes audience score, and then the Letterbox score. So which of these films, Going in Style or Fast and the Furious, has the higher ratings on two out of those three websites? Hold on, I'm getting it. Uh, Fast and the Furious, 6.8 to 6.6. On IMDb. IMDb, which is added, all these are out of different things, so it's important to know. That is very close, obviously. So going in style, I'm shocked that it has a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb. But what There's a lot of dudes going through midlife crises that loved that movie. I guess. That's the only explanation for that getting a 6.6. 6. All right. I uh, think style is miscast. I mean, those are supposed. This is supposed to be for our dads, right? As a bucket list, like, yeah. shouldn't that be like yeah. Clint Eastwood or uh, I, Toyota Supra? Sorry, I, guys, I had to look that up. Our fans would fucking disown yeah. us if we didn't. Toyota Supra was his first car. Okay, yeah, and that and that I believe that is what he picks again in Fast and Furious. So I, if I sounded like I wasn't paying attention, it's because I wasn't. I was looking that up. So <laughs> now we can move on with it. Henrik is like that's more important. All right, yeah. so. Uh, again, you need two out of three in terms of uh, the internet ratings. Matt, what what's the case with Rotten Tomatoes audience score and then Letterboxd? Real quick, Matt, before you go, IMDb is out of 10. We need to remember that, uh, Jeff, like you had said. This one is a percentage out of 100. 100, yeah. So and then Letterboxd got... is at 5. So. Yeah. Let's do Fast and the Furious first, Rotten Tomatoes. The critic score, which, as you know, as the Rough Riders, we could give a fuck less about, or sorry, with the Bro Force squad, is 53% for... Fast and Furious, 74% for audience, and going in style, 47% critic, 57% audience. So Fast and the Furious take it for the audience score, 74% over 57%. How does almost half of the critics like approve going in style as fresh? I don't know. I, like, I don't understand their like logic behind a lot of this shit. This is why our pod started, because we don't understand, like, you got to go and going in style, and you can't just get it out of 100. It's got to be out of 100 at a certain type of genre or something. So are you comparing going in style to, like, I don't know, Forrest Gump? You know, what are you comparing it to? 
Well, the bucket list, this isn't even Morgan Freeman's best bucket list type movie because that would be the bucket list. list. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I mean, I hate to get like hyper, hyper specific, but am I God wrong? Is, it's like, listen, let's just keep the train rolling. This, you know, if the fastball's working, keep fucking throwing. Right. Why would we go to the breaking stuff, Morgan? There's no We're need. About to die too, so, you know, it makes sense. Morgan, I have 11 of these bucket list type scripts on my desk right now. The only thing that's keeping you from doing all of them is the time left in your life. If we're being yeah, honest. like you dying, actually. In, Are you guys what? surprised that Fast and the Furious only has a 74% for audience? I thought it would be higher. I thought at least for the first one it would be. I know these things get much more polarizing as they get ridiculous. But as Matt and I have said multiple times, if you listen to our commentary, this movie, like, this was way before the franchise had reached like insane action trope levels i mean the story in the first fast and furious it might be like point break light but it's really good i think and well crafted and put together i will say the original fast and the furious i find myself watching 90 to 100 percent of the time when it's on tv the others i don't because it just gives me a headache being like okay where are we at who's the bad guy who's still alive who's dead I would agree with that, with the exception of Fast Five. It's just, it's yeah, Fast Five is good, but it's just, it's a headache. Like, trying to figure out where I'm at on some of these. The first one, so fucking good. You know a fun game we should play at some point? Let's get Matt drunk, spin him around twice in a chair, play a 14-second clip from a Fast and Furious movie, and have him try to guess which movie in the franchise it is. Not only that, that, I gotta gotta say who's alive and who's good and who's bad. If you give me a (laughs) Jason Statham, like, oh God, has he like has he has killed he turned Han- yet? Yeah. They have they care do they care anymore? I don't know. Letty, is this pre or post her death? <laughs> that you she comes know. back. Yeah. Is right, she so- alive, dead, or alive? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so June two thousand one is gonna win the audience score and win the first matchup to give June t- two thousand one its first point over April twenty seventeen. But uh just for shits and gigs. The letterbox score, which is the final uh, audience or, I guess, internet metric that we have, is also insanely close because out of five, uh, Fat, The Fast and the Furious has a 3.1 and Going in Style has a 3. So Sweep. This, this matchup, in, yeah, it is a sweep, but this matchup in terms of the way the internet views them is incredibly close. So June of 2001 is now up one to nothing. Again, you got to win two out of the three matchups. Do you guys want to do a Bro4 squad criteria here? I feel like we got a lot of our thoughts. Yeah, we have to. I mean, the fans okay. are the fans are there, wanting it. Right? There is a spread to cover. I'm spinning the wheel right now. It takes That's us awesome. to the cast of each of these two movies. So wow. We know the original Fast and Furious cast. Uh, I gotta say, if we're just talking like pure star power, I would give my point to going in style. And I would agree with that. Yes, a lot of that is based on the fact that Christopher Lloyd is in it. But if you go if you go one, two, three, you've got Paul Walker, Vin Diesel. Who's three in Fast and the Furious? I would I mean, say Michelle Rodriguez, probably. Michelle Rodriguez, okay. So then you put them up against Christopher Lloyd, Michael Caine, and Morgan Freeman. Alan Arkin, Matt Dillon. Alan Arkin? Jeez. He's I'm, probably the He's probably the top one on there. He's he probably is. I'm scared to say this name because it might hurt the cast of Going in Style, but Keenan Thompson is in there as well. Okay. Well, say Going in Style done. because, you know, all of our dads like those actors when they're young. And they're like, hey, they're old like you and they're about to die. So here's a bucket list movie. Go see it. Star power. 
That's true. And if we're talking six degrees of Kevin Bacon, I'll share my screen with you real quick. But John Ortiz, who plays Braga in Fast Five, is this guy is also in Going in Style. So there we go. If you're, if you're at bar trivia. Serious though, you get the best acting out of Paul Walker and Vin Diesel and everyone. If you're just talk, you can talk about roster all you want, Jeff. But you know, games aren't won on paper. That's well, true. As Chris Berman says, that's why you play the games. Na 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 na. All right. So June of 2001, despite the Bro Four Squad giving the points for acting and cast to Going in Style, June if you would have told me before we started, I'm going to be giving my point to Going in Style, I would have called you crazy. I would have lost money to myself. But you would get the money. I, I don't really. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I don't understand. Your points kind of fall collapsed on itself. I get what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, but calling him a narc kind of makes you a narc, so. Narc? Uh, all right, Banner, what is the second highest grossing movie from each of these two months, June of 01 versus April of 2017, for our second matchup? This is actually probably the closest as far as box office totals. Uh June of 2001 is AI, Artificial Intelligence, the Haley Joel Osment, uh, do we say classic or do we just say movie? I think some would say the end of Haley Joel Osment's career, really. Uh, yeah, although he was in something recently where he was really fucking funny in. Really? Yeah, I don't remember what it was now. Uh, anyway, that movie grossed uh, $236 million. And April of 2017, Smurfs, the last, the Lost Village, excuse me, the Lost Village. Uh, it's a sequel, if I'm not mistaken. Well, it's all animated, so it's and not it's, like the Neil Patrick Harris sequel that they did. Okay. And it grossed $197 million. So AI, artificial intelligence, again, June of 2001, coming in hot with the win. You said this. These aren't domestic, right? No, this international. is international. international. There's no way $197,000 worth of U.S. money is seeing Smurfs. There's no well, fucking way. Well, Matt, you've said it all the time. It is the safest bet in Hollywood to just make a kids movie with a well-known IP. Animate yeah. it, slap yeah. fucking Scoob on it. It can be total dog shit. Shit, Trolls World Tour during the pandemic made $250 million. Kids run the wallets of America. In the world, really. It's no surprise. So, all right. Uh, June of 2001 is up 1-0 because AI artificial intelligence. This was a big draw at the time, you got to remember. It was, like, kind of dark and innovative. Steven Spielberg directed it. We had Haley Joel Osment, Jude Law, William Hurt. Shit, Clark Gregg is listed on the cast. I mean... I mean, it's a great cast. This thing on paper looked good, but, Matt, as they say, that's why we play the game. Uh, so, Matt, if you have it, the doc pulled up, why don't you let yeah. us know what the Internet thinks about these two movies? Again, AI artificial intelligence, not exactly facing a heavyweight opponent in Smurfs The Lost Village, but still, people want uh, to go. Smurfs might put up a fight. Who knows? That's why we play the game. IMDb, uh, AI 7.2 versus Smurfs 6.0. 7.2 is really high. That's a really high. I don't I remember watching this movie, and I don't remember anything about it, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. A 7 out of a 10 for a movie means this is a really good movie. I would watch this two or three times a year, but it's just not – it's not like Pulp Fiction is basically what that bucket means. 
Because there's people online that like don't like shit and they'll just vote it like a one. So this average for it to be seven point three, that's pretty high. Uh, what did Rotten Tomatoes think? Rotten Tomatoes critics for AI seventy four percent, audience sixty four. Rotten Tomatoes critics for Smurfs forty percent, audience fifty four percent. Like, do we really need critics to do a kids movie? Like critics. What what are you going to provide me of value when you review Smurfs The Lost Village? When your kid's like, I want to go see Smurfs, and you're right like, there. Hey, it automatically gets a six and a half. Like, who gives yeah. a fuck? It's going to entertain him for two hours. Right. Can I drink a beer while my kid isn't, like, screaming and throwing shit for <laughs> 75 minutes? Okay, then it's a six and a half. I don't even have kids yet, and I, I'm pretty sure that that's a pretty good value proposition for a Basically, movie. Basically, all it is is what can entertain him for, like, 45 minutes so I can get something done. So, yeah, I wouldn't care what the critics say. And lastly, Letterbox AI 3.5, Nerfs 2.4. So 3.5 is a big uh, – that's a big number on Letterbox. <clears throat> yeah, Letterbox – I mean – so a lot of people would say, okay, well, Letterbox is at a five. So to get the IMDb equivalent, maybe just double it. But I don't think that's exactly apples to apples because if I'm reviewing a movie, to me, and maybe this is just my own skewed way of viewing the the scale when I rate movies, but the difference between a three and a half or a four is pretty huge. That's the a difference big between difference. A, the difference between a seven and an eight to me, not that big, you know? Yep, I agree 100%. I say that in 2001, I think the reason AI is so high is because people were scared back then, that was 20 years ago, of giving um, Spielberg like a bad movie. They're like, oh, this wasn't good. I mean, yeah. you get you get asked to leave the country if you said that. Yeah, they're, they were afraid of the scarf, for sure. Yeah. But Matt, as we love to say now, the fucking free pass is over. Yeah, it's over. It, these <laughs> numbers, though, are almost making me want to go back and revisit AI. It is a movie that I have, as we're curating our top 100 list for the end of the year, I, it won't crack it, but I do want to give it another shot. Yeah. It can't be that good. I, I mean, this would be, what, an FX movie? Maybe TNT, and it's never on. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I guarantee you FX has it in their library, and they're like, hey, Chris, do you want to run this for Thursday night? And they're like, no, just fucking play the Equalizer again. Uh, yeah. Jeff, do we really need to spin the wheel for the bros choice here? I mean... I think just out of integrity. Even okay. though June 2001 has won its second matchup and effectively the competition, obviously we will always get to the number one movie. Because people are betting on this in Vegas, you know? I'm just saying, what is Smurfs The Lost Village going to beat AI artificial intelligence at out of our any of our criteria? Well, the spinning wheel says cast. And Brian, if you look at the cast, Smurfs of the Lost Village is working with, again, all voice cast, but Demi Lovato, Rain uh, Wilson, bleh. Joe Maggianello, okay. Never Julia mind. Roberts, uh, Mandy Patinkin, who is Inigo Montoya. So that helps anyone out there. Um, Megan Trainer, the singer. Yeah. And Ariel Winter from Modern Family. And then, of course,. AI artificial intelligence, Haley Jill Osment, Jude Law, William Hurt. That's pretty much the top build there. Uh, I got to go AI artificial intelligence here. Um, the voice cast for Smurfs the Lost Village, I think all these people, get your paycheck while you can get it, but 
Uh, outside of Joe Maggianello, there's no one here that would ever get me remotely interested in a project. Love you, Rain Wilson, but your days is Dwight Schrute. Actually, Michelle Rodriguez is in it as well. Still give my point to AI. Yeah, doesn't change the needle at all. Right. Brian, how about you? Uh, yeah, AI. I mean, regardless of what you think the performance, like we said, this may have ended Haley Joel Osment's career. Um, regardless of what you think, they're at least still acting and they're not just collecting a paycheck. They tried. And I love Jude Law, so he's always going to win a I fucking movie. love Jude Law. So He's in one of my favorite movies. Um, I'm interested. So AI... Sorry, Matt, before you speak on... Well, hold on. Which is Banner? The Talented Mr. Ripley. Okay. Oh, nice. I was like, finish your sentence. So how busy was Spielberg with these dystopian movies? Because... He obviously directed Minority Report as well, which came out the next year. And I'm imagining between AI and Minority Report, that's a lot of post-production. This dude is a psychopath to get both those movies out in back-to-back years. He's he's actually very versatile because he does a lot of different types of films. Mm-hmm. He did fucking Hook. God damn it, that's true. I mean, there's a lot of he, – he, he doesn't just do one type of film. It, I know a lot of directors don't do that, but he's like a big-budget – you like Tarantino does kind of one type of film, let's be honest. I just feel like, uh, you know, lately, like Bridge of Spies and uh, whatever that fucking Lincoln, Lincoln, that uh, Meryl Streep, Tom Hanks movie about the newspaper, the Post, did, the Post. And how now, do I know all these? Uh, you're good. It's like you have a movie podcast. And now Lincoln, West Side Story the, this year. Lincoln, it's like Jeff Lincoln is worse than um, the fucking Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford movie. Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> Is that what you're talking about? Well, I'm just saying he does he does all Oscar bait films now. Like West Side Story this year, I yeah. wa- I could I watched the trailer for it and I was like, oh my god, bro, I'm fucking bored in the two hours, two minutes, fifteen seconds that you tried to sell me on the movie with a commercial. How am I going to get to the actual film? Well, you made it further than I got. <laughs> uh, Matt, just for the spread purposes, who gets your acting and cast vote out of these two films? Suck. I guess AI. Just because, as you said, I'm not going to go to a movie because so-and-so's voice acting. Because most of the time, at the end of the movie, when someone says, oh, did you know that was Harrison Ford? I'm like, huh, I knew that kind of sound familiar. Right. Like, no one gives a fuck like, about animated movies, as long as the story's good. And most of the time, the voice acting doesn't even matter, Banner, because when they sing songs, they got a fucking singer doing them. So Very what's true. the point? Yeah. Good point. What's the point? Very true. Yeah. Can't yeah, like, argue with it. Craft, you learn how to sing. So just like, you know, Jonathan Taylor Thomas with Simba, Big Whoop. He didn't sing any of the songs. And to your point, like, Bradley Taylor is great as Rocket Raccoon, but a little fucking eight year old doesn't know who. Bradley Cooper. Bradley, Bradley Cooper. Taylor is a person. Bradley that Taylor's. Yeah, that's right. Big difference. The same guy, but. <laughs> Yeah, what's the difference? Bradley Cooper, excuse me, is Rocket Raccoon. But a little eight-year-old doesn't fucking know who Jackson Maine is. Like, that doesn't move the needle for him. Banner's incapacitated at this point. <laughs> we have fucked up this entire episode. Like, why you're still listening is you need help. Subscribe to us, but Jesus. I mean, keep listening to us while you check yourself into rehab, though. You it's know? only going to get better. Keep the listening <laughs> not, time up. Not even too... We're still on our first topic. We usually cover three things, and we're still and we're. Uh, <laughs> so. 
All right, well, even though it's one, two out of three already, June 2001 will effectively, and Banner has a spreadsheet, which we won't make public yet, but we are keeping track of each month's record in these. Is that is that correct, Banner? Of course. And we, I appreciate your uh, diligence on that. Uh, I've got a weird thing for spreadsheets. We all know that. I like it. So June 2001 wins the matchup, but the most important thing, as Matt knows, is there is a spread to cover. And it was April 17 plus one and a half. So... Of course, the biggest matchup is the number one at the box office from each of these two months. So again, June 2001 wins the matchup, but all that really matters is can you catch that ticket at Bovada? So, Banner, what are the number one movies from each of these two months to round out the Miss Movie Month row-off? The Fate of the Furious for April of 2017 versus Laura Croft Tomb Raider, and that is the first one uh, with uh, Angelina Jolie in June of 2001. So, Laura Croft versus The Fate of the Furious, which is the eighth installment? Yes. Franchise? Because if you, it's kind of cool because Fate kind of sounds like eight. Oh. Uh, so this one, went, the bad guy, The Rock was in it? The Rock was in it, yes. Yeah. But Jay, this, is the, is this, this is the one where Jason Statham's a good guy, right? Yeah. And Charlize Theron shows up as Cypher. Oh, yeah. So this one, Dom finds out he has a kid. Yeah, he does. Yeah. The one with on theater. Chris Hemsworth. Okay. <laughs> How dare you? One of the worst ones I've ever seen. And then he names his kid, spoilers for Fate of the Furious. Skip ahead if you haven't seen it. Thank names you, his kid Brian at the end. While well, he breaks bread with the man who killed fucking Han. God. It would have... It would have... Say that again? Is this the one they go back to Race Wars? Uh, Yes. Letty has like a PTSD moment and punches Hector. I think, it I think like that if he would have named his Matchbox car and race it at the very beginning so he could make money or something. Uh, yes, that's right. While well, he was in Brazil. And then he used a paper clip to fix an engine or something. In Cuba, right? That's right. I don't know. He's, he's obsessed with Brazil, but you're right. I think he was in Cuba. Um. I don't think he should have named his kid Brian. He should have named it Paul. It would have felt so much more. Too meta, I think, but I do kind of agree. Yeah. All right, guys. Box office-wise, Fate of the Furious, $1,236,005,118. We're a sick society in the world because... Fate of the Furious makes over a billion dollars easily. Which is absurd. And Laura Croft Tomb Raider being, in my opinion, a horrible movie, in 2001 still made $275 million. Which is incredible. And and yeah. this, is, this is one of the first real big budget video game movies, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, this was kind of before I think people realized that video game IPs just don't translate to film. Like, we were still very hopeful, despite the two Mortal Kombat entries we had in the... Uh, we'll have to have a whole pod one day on the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> despite all those, we were still like, I don't know, man. Tomb Raider's kind of a cool game on the original PlayStation. I'm, let's give it a shot. And Angelina Jolie's hot, so she's in a tank top. She was one. red hot, too, in 2001. Yeah. yeah, she fits the character too. I mean, she's athletic and everything. And, you know, this is the same thing in 2001 that would go with the comic book movies. Like, hey, comic book movies didn't work, but look at what X Men and Spider Man are doing. So maybe we just did them wrong with Mortal Kombat. 
Great analogy. Angelina Jolie, you're, you got tits and lips. What else do you need? If you're the studio, like, I'll be honest. In 01, I, I, I totally agree with Matt. I'm like, how can this not work? It doesn't even have to be good. We'll make it money hand over fist. Just have her show her midriff the whole film and slap Tomb Raider on it and have her with the it's two pistols. Basically made her – I mean, this is what really catapulted her for a while, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't know when Gone in 60 Seconds came out. Let me look it up real quick. But those two movies – that was like 98, 99? That does sound right. It was 2000. So you know, Oh, wow. Okay, right before this. Yeah. But again, you go up against a Fast and Furious movie in the last eight or nine years, and it, there's just too much global bo- – I blame Japan. It has to be those motherfuckers that are going to see this. And me four times, but mainly the Japanese. That's right, so only one point, though, guys. April 17 is up one point, but it was a bloodbath. It so was really Matt, bad. Should have counted as two. Matt, these are two. I think I had fun with both of them, but we can agree. These are two bad movies, especially for the number one in the matchup. What does the ruthless uh, community that we know as the Internet think about them for our second point? That bad. IMDb, Tomb Raider, 5.8. Eight of the Furious, 6.6. Isn't it a little weird that the number one in terms of box office has the lowest IMDb scores? With the exception of Smurfs, The Lost Village. Then we got Rotten Tomatoes. But still, Smurfs wasn't that far behind. Smurfs was was a six. It's insane. How many people's kids have internet access? Sorry. Critic score for Tomb Raider is 20%, which that seems right for a critic score. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. But the audience score for Tomb Raider is 74% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I think that's pretty accurate. I think between the critic and audience score, you can average probably about a 20, 20% swing plus or minus. That's a 50% swing almost. But then we got critic for Fate of the Furious, 67%, audience 72%. So Tomb Raider wins uh, the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. No, they don't. Fate of the Furious still wins the audience score. 52 percent sorry you adam no banner the audience score for tomb raider according to our spreadsheet is 74 versus 72 yeah oh well then that's a typo i had him reverse these it's actually 47 percent was the audience score for tomb raider 72 percent for fate of the furious so your guys's confused faces is is much justified i understand why you're very confused if if we can't depend on a scientist, who can we depend on? I mean, I'm Letterbox. Letterbox has it right. So for Lorecroft Tomb Raider 2.5, for Fate of the Furious 2.9, Fate of the Furious takes that in a slim margin. Guys, that one's on me. That one's on me. <laughs> I mean, the matchup's already over, but again, there are people in Vegas waiting to cash in their betting slips. All right, oh, so it is huge ass a- difference between the audience score and the critic score. That's like BBS style difference. <laughs> That's true, yeah. That's like Snyder fans getting on and fucking juicing the numbers. So, Fate of the Furious sweeps the internet rankings, is that correct? Yes. That is correct. So, again, it's Fate of the Furious wins uh, this matchup to give April 2017 a point out of the three matchups. Ah, but, point. Ah, point. But uh, as is tradition, before we move on, we will go to the Wheel of Fate for the Bro 4 squad for us to weigh in. 
And it goes to Impact. Impact <laughs> of, of the two films. Um, wow. I think uh, very rarely do we have such a little impact between two movies. I'll go uh, Tomb Raider, though. I think um, Fate of the Furious, kind of to Matt's point, when you're in a franchise so large, you just kind of get lost in the shuffle. And although I did actually like Charlize Theron's turn as Cypher, there's really nothing about this movie, even in terms of an action set piece, that makes it in my top four or five of the Fast and Furious films. And Lara Croft Tomb Raider, I think, we've talked about this a lot, it's not a difficult list to climb to the top of, but it's probably a top three video game movie of all time, I think. So I will give my impact to Lara Croft Tomb Raider and the uh, burgeoning career of Angelina Jolie at the time. Also, interesting fact, kind of a cool meta piece of information, but her actual dad, John Voight, plays her dad in the movie, Lord Richard Croft. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Didn't Banner, who gets, your, who gets your impact point, Banner? Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go Tomb Raider as well. I think at the time, this movie wasn't so terrible that I think it, it left just enough hope for us to get a bunch other video game movies coming out. And, and even to this day, we're still getting video game movies coming out that are not great. So I think this movie has something to do with that. I mean, it's like you said, Jeff, I had a ton of fun with it. Is it a mm-hmm. good movie? Not even fucking close, but it's fun. So just keep making fun movies like that. And you're the eighth installment of a franchise that should have stopped it. Honestly, probably too, if we're going to be honest with ourselves. I love the other ones. Fast Five might be my favorite one, but the franchise should have stopped at two. The fact that you tried to erase Tokyo Drift from the world just broke my heart. Ooh, wow. I don't know about two. Yeah, seriously. Tokyo Drift's the greatest installment. It's the most fun. I'll give what you that. What will you do if... And Fast there's, and Furious is a really good movie, actually. Which yeah. one? The Fast and the Furious. Like, there the are some... Right, yeah, there are some solid ones. Now, again, another tease to at the end of... Our five-year anniversary is September 18th. We're revealing our top 100 movies of all time. My current rankings has 998 films on it. How surprised will either of you be if in the top 100 of my movies of all time, Tokyo Drift is somewhere in there? Oh, Not at all. Absolutely. I would be shocked if it's. I would be shocked if it's <laughs> below fifty. It's in, the top 10. <laughs> it's in top ten. I mean, is it Citizen Kane and then that, right? Maybe not even in that order. Matt, <laughs> uh, I'm going with Fate of the Furious. I mean, they're still making them. And honestly, guys, okay, say we had this pod in 2001, and we all had to put money, you know, in our contract on Cycly, and we're like, okay, which one of these franchises are going to have nine movies? Fast and Furious, Going in Style, Artificial Intelligence, The Smurfs, or Lara Croft Tomb Raider. I would have picked Lara Croft Tomb Raider, AI, and The Smurfs before Fast and the Furious. I'm like, how could they make nine of these? Yeah. Going in Style, I only wouldn't have bet on because I'm like, well, there's no way the cast is alive long enough. To yeah, I mean, like, everyone's dead. Like, what, are they going to keep making them? That makes sense. How many but, fucking uh, bucket lists do you have? Yeah. At a certain point, if you have 50 bucket lists, it's really not that special of a list. That's a good point. Angelina Jolie obviously did come back for a sequel, which is somehow... It's actually not that much worse, but it's still not good. The problem the problem with the fact that she came back for a sequel is that there was a sequel. She wasn't the problem with it. Gerard Butler wasn't the problem. They both tried. It was just... 
I mean, just a fucking terrible fucking movie. <laughs> All right, well, uh, finals here. And Banner, again, we'll get our spreadsheet updated. I don't know, whenever the fuck. Who cares? Uh, it's already. You rock. June 2001 uh, wins by a score of 2-1 to one in the matchups over April of 2017. We'll have to do a tournament of champions at some point with some of some of our stronger months. Any final thoughts before we move on? Uh, June is a shitty month. I mean, yeah. Fast and Furious is good. These other two movies suck, but they made a ton of money. I was gonna say June of of people went out to the fucking movies June 2001. Yeah. Which is funny if you add all three of those together. It's still less money than just the Fate of the Furious made. How absurd is that? By a lot, still. Yeah, not even fucking close. I don't I'm even think the three movies broke a broke a billion. I gotta say, I'm surprised by both the box office and how well uh, the internet likes AI artificial intelligence. Like a, a 7.2 on IMDb, 3.5 on Letterbox, and it made 235 million dollars. To me, it always kind of seemed like a huge bomb from Spielberg that was just too ambitious, but... I, I feel like I need to go back and revisit it. I was going to say, that's my one takeaway from this, is I might have to watch that this weekend and see what all the... I do love William Hurt. You, you are a Hurt Our, enthusiast. Yeah, I'm a Hurt head. We know that. Alright, good stuff. June 2001 uh, gets the victory over April 2017. That brings us to the second part of our show, which is our Protein Shake where we go around and talk about what is in our cup, also known as what have we watched lately, guys. I got a great one this week. I got five things that I am very excited to talk about. Let's do round robin. Um, I think some of us, maybe Matt and I, shared one of these things as well. Geiger, let's start with you. What's in your cup? What have you watched lately? The first thing I'll say on HBO Max, I watched Billy Madison. Wow. God. Such a great comedy, man. And I, I will say, I will say this: I really dissected this movie and paid attention to it. This is what I came up with as a person that is not a fan of Adam Sandler anymore. His early stuff I loved, but I will say the problem I don't think is Adam Sandler and the new Adam Sandler movies. It's his not necessarily supporting cast that is always the same fucking people of his friends, but he has no help. Like. In Billy Madison, every character in there from fucking Miss Lippy to the principal, like they're all like some of them don't have much screen time, but their characters are very well documented and are very funny. And in his new movies, even though I hate him in them, I can't name one character that are like, oh, they're funny. Now, that might be on him and Happy Madison and how they write some of these. But in Billy Madison and I, you guys probably haven't, you might have not seen this for a while, but he's, he's not a weak link. I'm not saying that he's great, but he's one of the weakest links of all the characters for sure. You know what? That is an incredible point. Like, let's think about the, the heyday Adam Sandler movies, right? Like even happy Gilmore. I think I laugh just as much at Chubbs and shooter McGavin as I do at happy. Yeah. hundred percent. And I'd and never even, the, you know, the jackass guy and Bob Barker, just some of the yeah. really short yeah. characters. You forget about. Cad. I mean, and we're really on that one, dipshit. <laughs> That's a great point. And may, like Matt said, maybe it is Adam Sandler saying like, no, I'm the guy I'm going to take 35 shots a game in the new films. But 
Yeah, it's all relying on him. So if you're not buying his wacky voice and weird fucking wig that he has on and whatever the fuck movie he's in. I then... think, Matt, did you ever see Murder Mystery? I loved Murder Mystery. I think yeah. that right there. Yeah, Jennifer Aniston. I think your point right there is emphasized in that movie. He wasn't the funny part in that movie. It was everything happening around him and everybody else in the movie that was so enjoyable, which is why that movie, in my opinion, was such a big surprise because then you go to these other fucking movies like Bedtime Stories and you're like, what are, what are we fucking doing here, man? And he is funny in uh, Billy Madison, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that a lot of his other characters, Happy Gilmore's the same way with Ben Stiller and his grandma and Shooter McGavin. It's like, man, he had so much help that you're like, hey, piece of shit like you for breakfast. It's like him the whole time. Chris Farley and Billy Madison. Oh my God. So that is correct. And again, to Matt's point, I never even thought about it this way, but like, if I were to say, what is the most famous quote from uh, Billy Madison? You might say O'Doyle rules, but it's probably the. Quote from uh, the game show host guy where he goes, what you've just said is one of the most insanely yeah. idiotic things I've ever heard. <laughs> and Your his response dad, was not even... dad from Christmas Story is funny in it. So, I mean, my thing is, and I don't know if it's Happy Madison problem, Adam Sandler problem, whatever, but some of his stuff could have been crushed a little more, some of his bad performances, if he had better supporting cast around. He's like the LeBron of acting. Very true. Wow. But this was before you would just go out and sign all of the... Uh, people who got bought out contracts. He Bushimi in it whenever he had the list of people to kill and he crossed off <laughs> Billy Madison for apologizing that he puts lipstick on his mouth. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I'm glad I called that guy. <laughs> Shoots them at the end. Oh man, that's good shit. That's a great point though. Like, yeah. So, and it's not even that Adam Sandler, like you said, Matt, it's not that he can't be like the lead dog on the team, but it's, he does have, I think a shtick might be pigeonholing him too much, but he has a very, it's kind of like a niche type of comedy. And so it needs to be balanced out by the Chris Farley's of the world. Yeah. You know, with the Veronica Vaughn jokes and things like that. I actually, I think every comedy movie succeeds when that happens. But we can say the same with Will Ferrell movies and stuff. I mean, he's great, but he just his characters yeah. he develops. Is he, though? But the characters he develops around him, you know, you know, Ricky Bobby or Step Brothers with Derek. I mean, those are what make the movie. When you think of Step Brothers, I think of Derek before I think Matt and I quote Matt and I quote Derek probably more than maybe Vince Vaughn and Wedding Crash is the only other character up there, but we quote Derek. Derek's basically our Swayze. Wedding Crash is another one. You know, you got Todd in there, you got uh you know walking. The, the girls walking. I mean, there's so many other people in it. Shit, Bradley Derek. Cooper, and then he and then the seal <laughs> And I'm wiping his face. <laughs> He's like, give me the fucking eye drops. <laughs> so next time you see a comedy movie and you think the lead sucks, look at the supporting cast and ask yourself, did he have any help or she around him or her? And just as a sort of a prevailing narrative on the Bro4 squad the last four or five weeks, since Matt has gotten HBO Max, he has reminded me how good their library of... Uh, older films is because you want you get this shit for movies mm -hmm. you know shows come and go but unless you're gonna unless you're gonna have a new show or an original movie every fucking other week then you better have a good movie library netflix yeah 
Seriously, Netflix. Well, that's because all these other studios have started their streaming services, so Netflix has lost like all their licensing deals. Netflix is in trouble, bro. That might be a pod coming soon. Couldn't agree more. Banner, what's in your cup? What have you watched lately? All right. Um, Jeff, I think you watched this not too long ago. Class Action Park. The uh, documentary about... Yeah, HBO uh, Max again. Uh, Documentary about the world's dangerous water park, quote unquote. Um, Yeah, dude, that place was fucked up. I believe, real quick, it was nominated... Obviously didn't win, but it was nominated for the What's Up Doc Brosker last year. I believe it was, which is part of the reason why I watched it after it was nominated, like after it lost. I was like, ah, oh, give it a shot. So, um, Matt, just a real quick for you and our audience at home, this is an HBO Max original documentary about a theme park that existed. At, Banner, was it late '80s, early '90s in New Jersey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. I think it was like '83 to '96, maybe. Um, and the whole appeal was, come here, get drunk, and we have very few, if any, safety regulations on our rides. You might get hurt. The owner's mentality was, I don't really care what happens. I will always take you to trial. I will never yes. settle. So that dude he, lived in a courtroom. Yeah, so he won 99% of what 99% of the lawsuits against him, literally because he was like, well, I'm not going to settle. So he, he would pay the court fees to go to to court he was such a fucking pain in the ass corrupt as well yeah the he was such a pain in the ass quote unquote to the state that they finally just sold him the land for like pennies on the dollar just so he would stop being a nuisance to them and his permits were out of date like i don't think they were ever in date Uh, did he did he have permits yeah so banner what was how they how they design their rides is they would have these like 17 year old kids who are the manager of security by the way come in with, with a, a beer in his hand so exotic with a beer in his hand and a napkin saying hey this is my next ride idea and he'd go that's great let's build it Matt, not even kidding the, my favorite part of the documentary Matt and this is what you'll love they start to talk about the annual end of summer parties the oh, employees God. of the theme park would have. Like the places these, these people would go and like have sex and stuff. It's like a little ridiculous. Even for the standards with which I judge like seasonal employees at a theme park over the summer. Actually, I don't think ever had sex with a coworker. Good idea. Yeah, that's- you, look, you don't, you don't dip your I'm, and I'm not eat. someone that lives by many morals, but that was always something that I just didn't feel was a smart idea, which I think 99% of people, especially, I mean, I worked in the service industry. I was a lifeguard. I mean, I worked at places that, you know, they were like mice. They just all had sex with each other. I just never. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you were working at Action Park uh, in the early 90s, yeah, I, I know I you were three, but you might have been tempted now banner i'll say this i think the only problem with this documentary and my letterbox review says this i really enjoyed it it was fun but there's just really not a story here right no there's nothing it really hones in on it's literally like hey you lived for me all i got was hey you lived on the west coast your entire life you never heard about this place i'm going to tell you what this place was and that was it there was no like overlying like this is a big thing that happened and we're going to tell you how we got to that point 
it literally was like, hey, this guy decided to make an amusement park, and then he went bankrupt. Yeah. Moral there, of the story. There obviously are some tragedies, one specifically it focuses on, which I actually kind of feel bad for the family of that individual because like th- that could have maybe been the focus of the doc and and would have i don't know been a little bit more therapeutic for them yeah there's just so many interesting components here but the documentary doesn't really know it's like a dog chasing cars right it's like well that's good idea <laughs> executed poorly yeah but matt i think it's worth a shot it's pretty short but it's very entertaining it's like hour 22 maybe not bad. And Dead. it's an HBO Max original, action, class action park, right? Yep. Um, speaking of HBO Max, did any of you guys get to watch the uh, HBO Max Friends reunion? No. Do yeah. I have a? Can I have a? Do I have a confession to make on pod here, guys? Do it. I'm. I've never watched Friends. All. What I think, Banner, it, like what would be really cool is if you could somehow live your whole life without ever having seen an episode of Friends. Friends I've is seen... good for women, and I will say I'm, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm just saying that the women are the stars. The best people in there are Jennifer Aniston, Lisa Kudrow, right, and Courtney yeah. Cox. All mm-hmm. the guys suck. They fucking are terrible. That's why it's a great woman show. Um, as a man, I I find no joy in it because i'm like yeah the men especially ross are um just very always an idiot and i don't know what chandler is but nothing i do appreciate chandler's sarcasm um but the other like joey and ross are and this again isn't necessarily an indictment i'm just talking about what i can relate to they're very much caricatures of people like you don't know anyone like ross but you know someone that like sometimes says things Ross says, but no one always acts like Ross, if that makes sense. Yeah. Same with Joey. Uh, but the Friends reunion, I guess since you guys haven't seen it, I obviously won't spoil it for anybody at home. But um, as someone who didn't really watch the show when it was on, but obviously knew its cultural significance and, you know, it kind of changed the modern sitcom. This was actually really interesting for me. Now, James Corden hosts it, and I'm not a James Corden fan, but luckily he does not really make it about himself. There he's a really few, bad interviewer. He really is, bad interviewer. He is because he's a performer in an, in and of himself, and that's why that's why like I always thought Letterman was a great interviewer because his comedic sensibility just inherently is dependent on like being very reserved and laid back, whereas James Corden's default is like let me get louder and more. He fun. has to be the center of attention. Right, but he actually does a good. He's not in it much, which I was really worried about at first. Um, there are some interesting tidbits revealed in this. I won't tell you what they are, um, but I think probably the, the, is it is it Friends or is it like just the actors talking about the show? It's not like a scripted show. It's like they're inter. They all get together allegedly for the first time since the season finale. All six of them. They're by that parents. fucking second. They're what, Matt? They're their characters. No, no, they're them. They're their actors. Okay, okay. They're not they're not Matt LeBlanc talking about friends. It's not like a documentary, I guess. No, it is a documentary. Yeah. They're not their characters. Okay, okay. All right. Yeah. So All it's right. like and they get into really briefly like some of their personal struggles and like things that happened while they were on the show. Um Harry was like a that big show on television, alcoholic, right? 
Right. Yes, Perry had some issues, and he's actually talks the least in it. And that guy, I'm worried about. If I'm being honest, like if Matthew Perry passed away the next two years, I would not be surprised. That's terrible. Now Lisa Kudrow looks the best because I think she's the only one, maybe David Schwimmer, but Lisa Kudrow's had no work done. I don't think. Better Courtney Cox. God, I love Courtney Cox. I know, but she's her face is bulletproof at this point. Yeah. Um, I the love best- when people talk about how hard it was to be on the number one show of the '90s and everyone know you when you have struggling actors that are living in basements in Hollywood. Working at a fucking coffee shop. Yeah. The best part, though, Matt, and this will get you alone to watch it and your wife. uh, There is an interview topic where they ask, who was your favorite guest star on the show? And they're all being they're having fun. They're being very candid. And David Schwimmer, I guess, just forgot the history of Earth. And he starts talking about when Brad Pitt guest starred. (laughs) And the camera goes straight to Jennifer Aniston who's like, please shut the fuck up. And he just goes on about Brad, and he's like, Jen, you remember, right? And wait till remember you were there. I mean, wait till you see her reaction to that. Did anyone say Robin Williams or Billy Crystal? No, actually. Uh, but there are there is one... On one episode, and that was the only time I've ever laughed at Friends when my wife watched it. <laughs> I mean, if you look at their guest stars, like Paul Rudd was in the last three seasons. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Willis was on it. There is one pretty big uh celebrity guest star like a lot of minor characters show up briefly but there's one really big well not re- maybe really big is overhyping it but he's a very very famous actor uh who had a pretty significant role in the show shows back up but overall even if you're not a huge fan of friends i think it focuses a lot on like the cultural significance and i just like because it, it talks with the creators a lot about this has always interests me like getting pitching a show to a studio which is like a huge portion of this reunion is like how they got it greenlit by NBC. So I would recommend it. I, again, I wasn't a huge Friends fan. I like appreciate what it did. Uh, like Matt said, I don't really relate too much to it, but um, you know, it's just not for me. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the best way to put it. I, I don't dislike Friends. If Friends is on, I'll watch Friends, but um, it just wasn't my cup of tea, which is fine. All right, Matt, how about you? What else you got? Okay, I watched Neighbors. Uh, first one yeah banner i want to talk to you about this because i thought this was a comedy at first but it really depressed me do you know why uh no why matt enlighten us okay because we used to be efron but we're not anymore now we're rogan <laughs> that's why it depressed me uh, after you have, after why you, you verbalize that <laughs> you realize i'm like dude i used to be franco and efron and now like yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, working a cubicle, like, my whole life revolves around with my kids sleeps or not, and, you know, I don't like noise and all this shit. I'm just, like, I look at my wife, I'm just, like, Jesus Christ, like, we used to, you know, I've seen you dance at a bar in Vegas, and now we're, you know, you got spit up all over your shirt, and you haven't done your makeup in five days. Like, what the fuck happened to us? So this this movie really gets me. Jeff, you'll get there. Trust me. <laughs> You'll just yeah. look at this and be like, just enjoy it while enjoy it while you can. We've had so much fun in college. Just remember, remember how much sex we had and drugs and everything, you know. And now it's all gone. Remember the glory and, days. And it'll never come back ever, ever. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Banner is really Rogan because I just think of like you know his penchant for uh, I guess the ganja, and you're just your sensibility. Yeah. I mean that as a compliment, Brian. You remind me a lot of Seth Rogan. Uh, I'll take it as a compliment. I mean, the dude's super fucking successful. 
this movie is great though. Franco is fantastic in it. McLovin's in it. Um, Hannibal uh, Burris is in it as a cop, which is fucking. Hannibal Burris is so fucking funny. And I love Rose Byrne as the dean. Hannibal versus the dean. I thought he was the cop. No, Lisa Kudrow is in it as the dean. That's right. Okay. She's all and, over the, uh, this one kid episode. tells her, he's like, listen, I just ate a pot brownie before I came in here. And she's like, I'm the opposite of the person you tell that to. <laughs> I've always loved Lisa Kudrow, man. She is fucking hilarious to me. Uh, the second one, if I remember right, not horrible. I've never seen all of it, so I can't. Sorority Row, right? Sorority Rising. Yeah, I've never seen it. Is this what was this on Matt that you watched it? X, of course. <laughs> oh, nice. I'll have to add that to the go rewatch list. Banner, what Shit. else you got? All right, uh, I'm gonna unload two here because they go together. Uh, pulled up the old Amazon Prime, and it said you might like, and it said Unbreakable. And I said you're right, I might like that. So went ahead and played that. Um. This is one of those movies, guys, that Bruce Willis isn't that good in it. I don't really like him in it, honestly. Sam Jackson is fucking incredible. And the whole idea, and I hate giving M. Night Shyamalan uh, credit here, but the whole idea of the only reason that Mr. Glass is a villain is because he wants to find his opposite. So that's the only reason he's killing people is so he can find somebody else that's like him, right? That is so fucked up. It's you brilliant. Should. That was like the longest piss Jeff has ever had in his life. He's still he's still going. Well, I didn't want to unmute in the middle. Banner, there's a professional decorum. You know, you don't call someone out while you're doing that. Pull back the curtain. It's fine. Um, so after I watched Unbreakable, it said... Up next, Split. I said, okay, sure, I'll watch that. I it's, really want to rewatch Split. You need to. It's really fucking good. Uh, James so McAvoy. This is this is the best James McAvoy is in anything, and I think he's great in everything. Patricia so, is my favorite part of that movie. When you he were screaming Oscar whenever he <laughs> said it. But it came out in fucking January. This yeah. is the problem. Marketing. We've talked about it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we got it. I think that was 2017, earlier years of the pod. But we got split and get out in the span of like three weeks, and we were just yes. like, Jesus Christ. I believe I believe split was the last week in uh, January, and the second week in February was get out. God. Fuck. Uh, split. Oh my god, guys, so fucking good. And honestly, what makes this so great is that it's so good on its own, let alone that last end tie-in where it ties into Unbreakable and obviously sets up Glass. This movie is just good on its own. Probably better than, honestly, I think it's better than Unbreakable and Glass. Yeah, oh yeah. And it's probably not even that fucking close. No, I mean, glass is, that good. glass is not that great. Um, I think Glass was just, he was like, it'd be really cool to tie these movies together. I didn't dislike Glass, but 
split. I mean, James McAvoy playing someone with 12 personalities, like uh, 23 personalities. 23, excuse me, just fuck yeah. me up, fam. And a, a young Anya Taylor Joy as well. Yep. Is that the hot Better? chick that was not then because she wasn't of age? Correct. Correct. Bingo. Yes. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> I said, well, what's the capital of North Carolina? I said Washington, D.C. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> Those are both Amazon Prime, Brian? Um, I'm not sure about Split. Uh, somehow it said you purchased this, which I don't remember doing. But it's on it the other day. Just watch FX. I was going to say, FX will not... No app needed. FX is made for the people who listen to this podcast. Yeah. There's there FX FX is mentioned at least three times every pod. I would set the under the over under at three and a half every fucking Especially episode. Maybe even lift, absolutely. People yeah. at home probably think they're paying us, and they really fucking should be because they we directed, should. We directed like three people to your we channel that they already knew about. Not much. Uh, Banner, you mind if I jump in real quick? Nope. Go. That's all I got. All right. That's your whole cup? That's it. This is oh, a light wow. week. Light All right, week. I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll get a couple of these out. Uh, Horns Return to Theaters. I saw Cruella. Okay. Cru- Cruella is incredible. It is my favorite movie of the year so far. Emma Stone needs an Oscar nomination. There is a very cool twist towards the third act. It's just, I think I gave it a five star. It's basically a fucking flawless movie goes way darker than I thought Disney would go, and I had such a fucking fun time at it. You have to go see Cruella. So are you including this in the Disney live-action movies? If I am, it is not even close how much better this would be than whatever the second one is. I'm so excited. It is. First off, I want to ask you, do you ever think the Oscar would go to a like a Disney live-action movie? I don't, but her performance is this is the best way i can describe it it's so dark and well made that it gave me a boner secondly can i guess the twist and you can just say yes or no uh sure skip ahead 30 seconds if you don't want to maybe i haven't haven't read anything on this at all i'm just i yeah but but if i tell you if you're right people will have it spoiled so hit that Uh, plus 30 seconds if you don't want to tie into another disney live action film like Cinderella or something like that. No. Okay. Great idea though. God, that's so good. you're basically setting up like if they did the Descendants, but actually did it good. I'm basically setting up like they do the Avengers with Disney. Like it, it could, yeah, that, you know, Beauty yeah. and the Beast be in Cruella's universe and everything. I'm surprised yeah. they do that. Okay. That was- it does a great job of, like, sympathizing her as a villain, but also you know she's a psychopath. But, Matt, like you and I have said a million times, that just makes me more attracted to her. It's the crazy that, chick you're eating, and you got to basically tell your friends, hey, man, she's not that bad. But I've never seen a Disney movie that does such a good job of setting up motivation. Like, everything she does, I'm like, yeah, I would do that exact same fucking thing based the on what happened. They are... But it's definitely not like a plot point, I would say. Just kind of okay, on the periphery. Just take place, like you know, she's young, right? Yeah, she's like probably twenty. It starts off like the the first half of the first act. She's like a child, like five or six. I'm very interested in this film. I think it, we're gonna see it this weekend because my wife really wants to see this or a quiet place too. <laughs> well, 
Yeah, I would highly recommend it. Speaking of A Quiet Place 2. Yeah, go, go ahead. Thank you, Matt. Yes, <laughs> uh, I saw this. So did Cycli. Check out our spoilers review of A Quiet Place 2. I'll just say this, guys. Uh, I've been to the theaters three times since I reactivated my A-list the last two weeks, and A Quiet Place 2 and Cruella are already in my top 150 movies of all time. A Quiet Place 2 in IMAX. Fuck me up, fam. John Krasinski is two for two as a director. Let him direct everything. This movie does a great job of expanding the world without making it like, oh, cool, so it's fucking Independence Day now. And more so than anything, I really need a third one after the way this movie ended. So you would say this is better than the original? Oh, they are like a in a dead heat. Okay. I think. How much Killian Murphy do we get? A lot of Killian Murphy. And Killian Murphy is, they gave him a lot of meat on the bone, and this dude has his fucking rib bib on, and he is just gnawing at it. He's having a blast. I've never seen him disappoint in anything he does. The movie might not be that great, but his fucking, even in Dunkirk, I'm like, damn, he's fucking great in this. The movie sucked. Like, it was a bore fest, but he's good. I mean, the dude takes whatever dialogue you give him, and he's like, just fucking back up. Watch this. So, A Quiet Place 2, incredible. I would recommend seeing it on the biggest screen with the... Like, uh, the theater I go to didn't have Dolby Digital. Matt, that's what we saw Justice League yeah. in. Like, oh, and yeah. I really, I really like, wanted to... sucks, but God, look at the visuals. I know. I wanted to watch it in that. They didn't have it, but... Oh, man, just being back in the theaters and with a fucking crowd of people that's having a blast with this. And there are a few jump scares that are just great in this. Which, uh, which would you recommend for the wife and I? Damn. Um, you know what's funny? Cruella's like 25 minutes longer. But Cruella's really fucking good. Cruella... Cruella more. We haven't seen all the, the first Quiet Place. I have, she hasn't, so we'd have to watch that again. But I Well, think the best... the best, And this isn't a spoiler, but because this was in the trailer, but the best part about A Quiet Place Part 2 is the opening scene shows you day one of the invasion, which we never saw in the original. So you see that, and then it basically cuts to where the first one ended. So you don't even need to have seen the first one, and it, that's all the, really the context you need for the world building, which is kind of cool and was smart of John Krasinski. But the it, the opening scene does a great job of establishing Killian Murphy's character lived in the town with them and was friends with them before all this happened. Okay. Um, all right. I have two other things. One I'll mention really briefly, and then my last one uh, I blame Matt for and have a few thoughts on marriage versus mortgage a series on netflix it's a reality series i watch this because uh people listening to the pod might not know this actually ties in very perfectly with where i'm at in my personal life i've pushed my wedding twice because of covid i'm getting married in july and i recently bought a house in the last month and a half so this show is basically couples that are engaged and they're making the financial decision should we buy a house or pay for our dream wedding. And <laughs> my fiance and I basically just got drunk one night a week for the past 10 weeks, watched one of these and made fun of the couples and their stupid fucking decision making. It's just, Matt, you know this. One thing lasts four hours, the other thing will last our whole life. What should we do? You'd be shocked at how hard the decision is for these people. <laughs> Why? This sounds like, look, I know, Jeff, this is literally where you're at in your life. I was there nine years ago and i feel like this is going to be the most entertaining thing yeah. 
that I will probably watch in the next six months. It is. It's 40-minute episodes. I'll just give you the concept because I think Matt will like this. So there's the marriage versus mortgage office. One of them is a wedding planner. One of them is a real estate agent. They're both very entertaining, and they compete against each other each episode to try and sell the couple on their service. And the real estate agent probably actually is a really smart person. Is like, why am I never picked 100% of the time? But Matt, the- name one wedding that 20 years later you could sell. Like, so your wedding costs 100 grand. And you could sell it for 200 grand 20 years later. A house is a fucking investment most of the time, especially in, in certain markets where like you're gonna maybe like gain back your money double. <laughs> right. But that would require logic, Matt. That's true. Uh, the whole show is set in Nashville, which is kind of cool in terms of like the housing market and That's wedding perfect. venues. That's the perfect town for that. Uh, but the thing that kind of blows me away, you would not believe like the living situation of some of these couples coming into the show. You're like. <laughs> Well, you obviously have to pick the fucking house. You'd be surprised what some of these people do. But the thing that I love, Matt, that you'll appreciate is at the very end, and this is like a uh, kind of a bar rescue homage. At the very end, when the real estate agent and the wedding planner come in with like their final pitch, some of the fucking Hail Mary shit they'll throw up to try and get the, the respective couple to go with them is like insane. Like if you weren't on a reality show, you could never get some of the things they get. So Marriage vs. Mortgage, 40-minute episodes. I think there's eight of them. Watch it with your significant other. You won't regret it. I promise you. I, I got one more before you got to talk about the one Perfect. I made you watch. Um, me and the wife, uh, we had the grandparents watch the kid, and we celebrated our anniversary this weekend. We stayed at a hotel and went out. And we got to um, have sex not on a timer for the first time. Banner, you <laughs> probably remember what that was like. The first time so you had jealous. a babysitter. Um, so jealous. So afterwards, you know, she was showering or taking a bath, and I turned on the TV, and a Bug's Life started, and Ooh. I watched it start to finish, drunker and fuck, <laughs> after just having sex. As and it's I, intended to be watched. Yeah. Yes, that, that, yeah. That's what Pixar meant. He's like, yeah, this is kind of for kids, but it's also for guys who haven't had sex in a really long time, and after they're done and really drunk, they watch it. And God, it's a fucking great movie. Kevin so Spacey, good. man. Yeah. Remember when he was a thing in Hollywood? When he was touching boys and no one cared? Back in the days when people weren't so uptight. God, I um, freak out. Yeah. It's a it's a great fucking film, dude. I I had a lot of fun watching it. I was laughing a lot. And my wife's like, what's wrong with you? Are you drunk? I'm like, well, Bugs Life's funny and I'm also hammered. So I don't yes. Perfect storm. How is the caterpillar too much when you rewatch it? Was it like German no. accent? No, not at all. It was hammered. <laughs> The, I remember the ladybug who's actually a man is yeah. funny. <laughs> That's very funny. Hilarious. What is it? The wh- who's the bug who's like the brother from Frasier? The stick bug? The stick bug. God, that guy's sure. Blick David. just keeps fucking up everything. So they're like, whenever he leaves, he thinks they're cheering for him to like find help, but they're actually just <laughs> cheering that he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, great. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is the princess, right? Yes, yeah. Yep. Have we done a, a This right bro- here. This right here. I'm sorry, guys, but this goes back to your point in Chest Day. If she was a voice actress, does not sell the movie. But if she was in it, even if it was a live-action movie about a fucking bug, oh, she's in it? Yeah, I will give it more consideration. 
Have we done a bro v bro Bugs Life versus Ants? I feel like we have. We have, but we need to do a, a commentary on a Bugs Life. One thousand percent. I'll we'll do it. To... We've done every other Pixar like good movie. Yeah, a Bugs Life gets really slept on because it came out, you know, within eight months of Toy Story. Yeah, Bugs Life's a good movie. <laughs> I didn't know that was what TV channel was that on? Like Disney Just... Channel. Whatever AMC Family used to be, Freeform, I think, or something like oh, that. Nice. Uh, just literally at like 2 a.m. I just awesome. went to the bar, I watched the Maz game, we went back, we had sex, and she was getting ready for bed, and I'm just like, oh, Bugs Life's on, this is cool. And I remember she, her role over, it's like, are you going to watch this whole movie? I'm like, yeah, I am. God, so, my fiance asks me that all the time, I'm like, yes, I'm going to watch this whole thing. Like, It's the nice John- thing about when you're married as long as I've been. She just knows I'm going to watch the whole thing. <laughs> and she's like, also, after she's, you just had sex and you haven't had sex in eight months, I'm like, okay, she's going to be pissed. What's she going to withhold from me? By the time we have sex the next time, she's going to forget about it. So, yeah, I'm going to watch the whole fucking movie. 100%. Yeah, and then you can tell, like, so you're mad at me over a bug's life? Think about <laughs> that real quick. All right, uh, Vayner, you're done, right? Yeah, I'm done. I've got some stuff that I'm halfway through, but I'm not prepared to talk about it yet. Um, Banner, just a quick update. I am eight episodes into Clone Wars. I expect okay. to watch like ten this weekend. Sweet. What the fans came here to see, Jeff. All right, the fans came here because last week Matt thought it'd be a good idea to fucking double or triple, I don't know what it was, triple dog dare me to get on HBO Max and watch Perfect. Ace Ventura colon Pet Detective Jr. Now... <sighs> Matt, I didn't – he said he, he watched it like a sane person. He told me he started it and only got 10 minutes in and then said, I'm an, I'm an adult. I have a child, and I can't do this. I watched the entire thing, and I'll just say this. I watched the last 30 minutes of it on the treadmill in my garage, and never has there been a more grueling workout than trying to run with this as my distraction. Now, I have some bullet points, because if I have to sit through this piece of shit... Jeff, do you think there's anyone in America that has ever watched Ace Ventura Pet Detective Jr. by working it, during work a workout? There's no way. You gotta no, be- there, there's no way. Yeah, I'm taking the under on that. It was the time. hardest cardio I've ever done. It, it basically felt like I was dragging a fucking boulder behind me trying to watch this thing. Now, I'm going to say a sentence that has never been said in the podcast world before, and here it is. If you don't want Ace Ventura Pet Detective Jr. spoiled for you, skip ahead about a minute. All right? We just made history. You know what's even better is there's probably people that are skipping ahead a minute. God, that is just not a life. I mean, there are heroin addicts that are in better shape than you, man. Anyway, this is on HBO Max. Uh, First things first, I'm the realist. The title makes no goddamn sense. So the character is Ace Ventura's son, Ace Ventura Jr. He becomes a junior pet detective. So, Banner, here's my options for title. What it should be called. Ace Ventura Jr., his name, pet detective. Or Ace Ventura, colon, junior pet detective, because that's what he is. What we end up with is... (laughs) Ace Ventura Pet Detective Jr. What the fuck is that? What is that? What is a Pet Detective Jr.? 
That does make no sense. It makes no goddamn sense. You like even like little teams will call them like little cowboys. They don't they don't call them cowboys junior. Right. It does. I mean, there's no way you can explain. And and again, I'm willing to give this film some grace, as you'll learn here in a second. But Jesus Christ, man! The only thing I can think, and I actually think Matt, you'll appreciate this. Here's this movie's marketing strategy. If you call it Ace Ventura colon Pet Detective Junior, the actual only difference from the original Ace Ventura Pet Detective occurs the last two characters. So the amount of buys you might get on a video on-demand service increase for people mistaking this for the Jim Carrey version if you move the Junior to the end. That's yeah. got to be it, right? That's the only thing that almost makes sense. Is people accidentally purchasing this on video on demand. And that's putting a lot that's putting a lot of faith in people being fucking stupid. But people are, as Matt and I know from our marketing background. Well, and if you, if you're looking, you know, if you're looking on the TV, maybe the junior is cut off. Yes, 1000%. Yeah, but the kid the kid is like a fucking potbelly pig. He, he's so fucking <laughs> fat. Look at the picture, I guess. I don't know. That's yeah. Um, all right. Let me get into my notes real quick. Um, so first off, just so you guys know, in canon, they do explain in this film, because, again, I watched the entire fucking thing, that Ace Ventura, the Jim Carrey character, died in a small prop plane accident somewhere over the Bermuda Triangle, trying to lead a flock of disabled Canadian geese to safety. So briefly, uh We'll start with you, Matt. How do you feel about the way that they uh, basically end Ace Ventura's life? Actually, Banner, why don't you go first since your hand is up? I think that is actually genius. One, he's doing something completely fucking ridiculous. So that's got Ace Ventura all over it. Two, he crashed in the Bermuda Triangle using air quotes here. Very easily, Jim Carrey can be like, hey, guys, I need some money. I'm going to do a third one of these. Three? I don't know. I don't really have three, but I, I think it's I, genius. I hate to say, but I completely agree with your first two points. Matt, how about you? So they either couldn't afford Jim Carrey or he didn't want to do the project, but they had to keep it Ace Ventura pet detective. So they just killed him off screen. Yes. It's a independent. Or did day. they? Sounds great. Next. All right. Good job. Great writing. So the plot to the movie, as Matt explained last week, Junior Ace's mom is a uh, zookeeper at a uh, an establishment that has a rare panda named Ying Yang. Ying Yang gets kidnapped, and his mom is arrested. And this is the evidence that the police have um, to basically convict his mother. Uh, when they think Ace's mom, this is just my notes, when they think Ace's mom took the panda from the zoo, the SWAT team breaks into her home with shotguns and full body armor on. They suspect Ace's mom, who actually feeds the panda, because of these two reasons. Number one, her footprints were found at the crime scene. She fucking feeds the panda. And B, they say she's been living paycheck to paycheck. That's literally the only evidence they have and arrest her. Yeah, is it like 82% of America living paycheck to paycheck? Seems and the cop, the cop asks, why were your footprints... In her exhibit, and she goes, I feed the panda daily, and they just handcuff her and throw her in the fucking car. So Ace's, Ace Jr.'s mom, is his name Ace Jr.? Yes. So Ace Do they Jr. call him AJ? No. 
So, and it's not Courtney Cox. No. It's not any of his other love interests. It's the third Cusack sibling. And Cusack. There's three of them? I said <laughs> that last thought. I'm like, do you think she's re- do you think they're related? And yeah. I guess they are. Okay. Matt, you know what I thought of? Uh, from the goods when he goes, Bo Bice, his brother. <laughs> coming down to the lot that's what i thought when ann cusack was cast in the role yeah what's great man is think about their thanksgiving when john's like yeah i got this role and then ann's like i got ace ventura pet detective jr pretty excited like, oh about wow it. is jim carrey in it she's like well he you know we, we put in a phone call i'm sure he'll he'll nibble i mean he, he's uh you know creative control all right i have a what? few just <laughs> I have a few just things from the movie that I thought were absurd. Uh, Ace Jr. is recording notes on a little recorder for his investigation of the missing panda. And a quote that he has that I embarrassingly laughed at is he says, quote, Missing panda answers to Ting Tang. Or if you speak panda. <laughs> Super dumb. Um, there is a nerd at Ace's school that has a bully detector. Matt, this is basically a sonar that somehow alerts him when kids are headed his way that are going to beat the shit out of him (laughs) okay there's no other explanation given they'll pop up on a radar if they're like jocks i guess um there is a scene in the movie where ace is not allowed into a birthday party because a popular because of a popular kid so he's pretending to be a reporter and when ace is denied uh his media credential he says quote I haven't been this embarrassed since they made us start showering after P.E. <laughs> so kids won't get it, but that is a I have a small dick joke. He's got, he's got some one-liners. He does. Um, at, at one point, Ace and some girl escape and incapacitate about 12 adult security guards while they are skating in Healy shoes. And I put this might be the worst scene I've seen in a movie in my whole life, and that is not hyperbole. Jeff, you're doing a really bad job of selling me to not watch this movie because I'm going to go watch this now. <laughs> I need someone to join me in this. And then my last note. So there is a uh, trial for Ace Jr.'s mother at some point as she's being uh, accused of kidnapping this panda. And a county judge lets Ace interrupt his mother's trial and give a soliloquy to the courtroom because, and this is the judge's words, quote, He's her son. Character testimony is important. So he's allowed to just interrupt the whole fucking trial. Just right in the middle of it. And he puts on quite the presentation, uh, Banner. Actually, you'd be proud of it. He, he like, basically re- like recreates the panda's exhibit in front of the judge, but before the plaintiff. And then works <laughs> it. It's, it's so fucking ridiculous. Look, I'll say this. I haven't put this into my all-time movies list, which currently sits at 998 films. But we are judging these lists, and Banner, you and I will extensively get into this when we do our own Top 100, on how much fun did we have watching the movie or how much did we enjoy it. And no, this movie will not crack my top even 600. But this is, in the category of it's so bad, it's good, and it's an hour 33 counting credits, so probably an hour 25. It's not a bad runtime. It's horrible, but kind of intentionally, if that makes sense. So it knows what it is. I think it does. The kid's performance, I got to say, look, 
if they said, hey, can you do like a Jim Carrey like impression for an hour and a half? I mean, it's it's kind of cringe, but it's not like I didn't have any fun, any fun with it. All right, Banner, that brings us to the last part mm-hmm. of our show. You even lift, bra? And that is our do you even lift, bra segment. You you lift, bra? Does that work? That's not what working. We'll get back to we'll get we'll go back to the parrot next week. It's fine. Yeah, he's uh, doing a press tour right now. Our Do You Even Lift Bra segment is where we take sometimes a piece of news, sometimes just a random question about movies, and we answer it and leave you people with it to think about as you uh, turn off our podcast. And here's our Do You Even Lift Bra for tonight. So early earlier in 2020, excuse me, Seth Rogen announced he would be rebooting the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, in co-production with Nickelodeon and Point Grey Pictures. He has finally announced the release date for the film in a Twitter post filled with the mad inner workings of his creative process. Re- uh, Seth Rogen wrote on Twitter that the release date of TMNT, as well as a slew of other projects in the future. Uh, another thing, Geiger, you weren't on the episode, I think, when we talked about this, but Hulu's Pam and Tommy miniseries with Sebastian Stan as Tommy Lee and Lily James as Pamela Anderson. He's also in coming up. Anyway, TMNT will hit theaters August 11th of 2023 so it's just now starting production and as huge tmnt fans i believe we've done commentaries is it actually just the first two we've done uh i think so yeah we need to do the third one because it's arguably like no the like the last best one <laughs> well you like the animated one which get, actually that ties into this yeah so two questions and geiger we'll start with you number one do you give a shit about this project from Seth Rogen rebooting the TMNT? And then number two, what is the best or your favorite Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie? No, TMNT is completely dead. It died with our generation. They should just kind of stop doing it like Robin Hood. Uh, I just don't think it works. I don't think they, I don't think they get it because they have to make it for our generation, but they won't. They'll make it for the younger generation who doesn't care. And then our generation just gets pissed off at ruining one of our favorite cartoon comics. Um, and my favorite TMNT is the original one, the Jim Henson. Like, it's fucking dark. Super dark one, and yeah. yeah. On both that and Secret of the Use, but the first one is my favorite one. We have commented many, many times, and it's insane how accurate this is. But on the pod, Matt is definitely Raphael. Banner, you are by far a hybrid of Michelangelo and Donatello, and I'm probably the most Leonardo, right? Yeah. That's extremely accurate. It's like scary how accurate and it is. Likely is the turtle's lawyer. Yeah. I think yeah. they have like a lizard friend or something. But Matt, I w- and Banner, I'll let you go next. But I totally agree. I think this is one of those properties that's kind of in like purgatory because our generation loves it, but they feel like it needs to be, if they do a new iteration of it, it needs to be for kids who just don't give a fuck about it anymore banner do you give a shit about this project and what's your favorite turtles movie i'm intrigued because he obviously has an idea because why would he go after this property if he didn't have an idea he's of our generation right he's a few years older than us Mm -hmm. so i think he's gonna make it for our generation I think yeah, he's going to – and that that's why I'm intrigued by it, and that was a question. Is yeah, it going to be good? I don't know. Probably not, if I'm going to be honest with you. I don't – I don't. it doesn't have high hopes. 
sorry, before you get to your favorite Turtles movie, I agree. I wouldn't say I'm excited, but because, like Matt said, he is of our generation, if anyone can do this properly, or at least, like, get the way that it needs to be redone, it would be someone that, you know, has the sensibility and grew up with the Turtles as we did. And I think Seth Rogen, he's only a few years older than us, I'm sure, is of that same uh, generation. Banner, what's your favorite Turtles movie? So... I would have to agree my favorite is probably the original. Uh, but a real close second is TMNT, the animated one. Mm-hmm. I love stories and properties that we grew up with. And then they make give us one where those characters grew up with us. And they kind of show how people have changed and their characters have changed and how they're brought back together. Really, really well done. Uh, great voice cast as well in that um but that one's a really close second for me i mean you kind of took my uh same answer for the second one the scene in tmnt 2007 with Raphael and leonardo on the roof which by the way that's a continuation of the first three if people didn't know is one of the most poignant and well-written scenes uh to any sequel movie that i've ever seen like it encapsulates their relationship perfectly yes 100 percent so all that I'll say is I am intrigued like you are and excited by this. I think fresh blood making the movie from our generation that is not called or named Michael Bay has me excited. And this might have the benefit of the Michael Bay movies because they were so bad that that's probably what most people will be comparing you to. So that's if I'm them, I'm like, fuck yeah, compare me to those films, the Johnny Knoxville, Michael Bay and Turtles movies. This is gonna be like this is gonna be like Batman Begins to Batman and Robin. Could be a great analogy right there. Casey Jones has a lot of meat on the bone. I know, right? And he's hardly been in any of these fucking movies. The the very first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles he was in, then he wasn't in any other ones. But he has a lot of meat on the bone. They could do it. Yeah, and they had uh, the guy uh, Stephen Amell who played Arrow was in the. Second Michael Bay one is him, but no one fucking saw that movie, so that doesn't even yeah. count, really. Even right. I didn't try and watch that movie. Which is when you know you're in trouble. All right, before we let the people go, Matt, what any words of wisdom you want to depart them with? Just, you know, get your eggs frozen. Great advice. Both the actual ones you eat and then the ones for reproductive purposes. Never know. Will they explode if you froze, like, actual, like, chicken eggs that you eat? Because it would expand. Would they expand? I don't know. I'm asking. You're the scientist, so I defer to you. I don't think I have permission to put an egg in the freezer. Better to ask forgiveness than permission. Yeah, you're right. Banner, what do you want to leave the people with? Just pull over for emergency vehicles, please. Uh, Guys, unfortunately, I passed several emergency vehicles this week, and I was a little disappointed. We had some people that uh, weren't getting over as quickly as they probably should have. What do you mean you uh, Shame on you. Like you were driving past them? Is that what you meant? No, no, no. In there. I was about to say that. No, like they passed me. Like I had several emergency vehicle encounters this okay. week. That's a big difference. All right. Okay. Uh, I'll just, you know, this is kind of my new thing now. Uh, don't be afraid to turn left on that blinking yellow arrow. Now, obviously, you know, fucking read the room, like watch the traffic. But people could be on their way to work. If no one's coming for 20 seconds, just fucking go like bro. a fast break three-pointer like i mean sometimes it's the right play right just grow a dick you're wide open shoot it 
All right, for our enforcer in the paint, Matt Geiger, and the mad scientist, Brian Banner. I'm the mayor, Jeff Hornacek. We are the Bro4 Squad podcast. Thank you guys so much for checking us out. Please follow us on Twitter, at Bro4Squad. Type in Bro4Squad as three separate words on Letterboxd, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you find your podcast, you'll find us. And check out everything we do on our website, Bro4Squad.com. Till next time, we have to debate the best Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. I mean, I think we all picked the same one. I said Secret of the Years. Or if I didn't, I'm saying it now. I'll edit that in. Uh, Yeah, I was picked.